What? Well, then you won't like to do what I want to do on a on this Saturday morning. What? What are we doing on this Saturday morning? Exercise. We're oh. going to go out for a for a fort. We might go out to the park. Oh, joys! In the wind and the rain. In the morning. When it's windy and rainy. No, we'll fold them. We'll put our coats on. Oh, okay, fine. Because. I mean, I don't know if it's getting picked up by the microphones, but it's very windy tonight. Yeah. Mm. So I've been told that because it's the end of a long week that you're going to be really tired and you're not really going to be paying attention. No, I am going to be paying attention. Okay. Do you want to know what, what the vague sort of overarching topic is before we start? Do you want me to tell you where? You've actually made that sound creepy, but yeah, sure. So I won't go into the details until we get into the story, but we're talking about being a princess. Okay? So how to be a princess? How to be a princess way back when. This was, you know, 700-odd a... years ago. So how many things do I need to know about being a princess? Like, how many stages are there? Well, you're going to learn all about it, don't worry. So okay. you ready to go? Yeah. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... So this story that I'm going to tell you this evening, Evie... It's not a story, it's how to be a princess. This story... It's like about more princesses. information. It's not, a, it's not a how-to guide. It's not like step one, find a prince and marry him kind of deal. This is a story of people who lived and things that happened, Evie. Oh. Okay. And this story begins on November the 9th, 1389. So going back quite a long way. Because that was the day that Isabella of Valois was born. I know someone called Isabella. I don't think you know this Isabella. No. This is Isabella of Valois. She was one of 12 kids born to Isabeau of Bavaria and her husband, Charles VI who just so happened to be the king of France. So she was born a princess, this one. She didn't have to marry into it. Her dad was the king of France. He was known, both as Charles VI, and by his nickname. Do you know what his nickname was? What? Have a guess. Dickens? <laughs> no, you're mixing up your historical figures. Mm. He was also known as Charles the Mad. Why the Mad? Well, it's because he suffered from intermittent bouts of mental illness. Oh. Mm. Where, where he'd start to go a bit wrong in the brain, I'm afraid. So his brain is turning to mush. He, he may have had tertiary syphilis, but we don't. We can't confirm that. Um, I'll give you some examples. So in 1393, when Isabella was four, Charles completely forgot his own name. He forgot the fact that he was king. Uh, and didn't even recognise his wife or his kids. And he was, as you can imagine, very put out by people saying that he had to rule the country because he didn't know how to rule the country. He didn't even know his name. He got better, um, but his wife had to run the kingdom for a while until that happened. Oh, until he remembered. Mm. But it wasn't the only time it happened because on other occasions, um, there was the time he believed he was St George. And he insisted that everyone called him St George and he wandered around the place with a big sword. Uh, 
there was the time when his staff were forced to brick up the entrances to the palace to stop him from escaping. What? Yeah, he he was um, running manically up and down the corridors and to make sure that he didn't run out into Paris and get himself into trouble, he bricked (laughs) up all the doorways. So funny. Well, funny and tragic. I mean, this is a man's life. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit tragic, but also a bit funny. Then there was the rather smelly time when he refused to have a wash or change his clothes for five months because he was paranoid that people would, uh, you know, hide his clothes or that washing would somehow cause him great injury. So he he refused to have a wash for five months. That is going to be a very stinky five months. Well, you know how you start to smell a bit after, if you've not had a bath for a couple of days, you start to notice that you might stink a bit. Yeah. Now imagine five months of putting that bath off. How dirty and grimy you'd be. And wearing the same clothes. So every time you spilled something accidentally on your top, five months worth of that, his top was more sauce than it was fabric. (laughs) He was just wearing dried sauce and calling it a shirt. That is not a shirt. It's just sauce on a shirt. What I'm saying is, King Charles VI, he had some issues, yeah? That's the take-home from this. And it was not surprising that with his fragile mental health, Charles was worried that others within France might want to try and take his throne from him. So he began looking for allies and noticed that his neighbouring king in England, Richard II, was suddenly in need of a wife in 1394. This was because his first wife, Anne of Bohemia, had just died of the plague. Oh, I don't know what to say. Well, we like the plague, don't we? It's very interesting times, the plague times. But this... Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? Plague okay, stories I've got, are fun stories. I've got two reasons why you are wrong. One, I don't like the plague because it's tragic. And two, the plague is not a source of nature. It is. A, it comes from nature. It's, it's natural. It's a virus. Yes. So this is how it is. Plague, hmm. eaten by fleas. Fleas <laughs> lead to rats. <laughs> rats lead to pets. Pets lead to people. People lead to the entire world. So, what the, pa- ha- the plague is bad. Well, it was bad for some people, but after the plague, as we know. And people were able to start arguing for more money because there were less workers around. So it, the people who survived, they got some social reforms out of it. Mm, I mean, I it wasn't so. so good for Anne of Bohemia because she got boils all over her body and then dropped dead. But for the people who didn't get the boils and dropped dead, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. There were opportunities afterwards. Oh. Especially, I mean, there's an opportunity to become queen here because there's no, we've got a king who doesn't have a queen. So being able to join the two royal families by marriage would definitely shore up Charles's position, as any child born as a result would be able to make a claim to the thrones of both England and France. Ooh, exciting and mysterious. Is it mysterious? Yes! Or is that just a word you like saying? It's a word I like saying. (laughs) With that little grin on your face. Have a lot of things been mysterious recently, Evie? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought they might have been. Like today, on the table, 
when I was um, getting my book and putting it into my book bag, I saw two sheets stuck on the table underneath it. Oh, to the underside of the table? Yes. Okay, that's a bit mysterious. Yes, that's why I like saying mysterious. <laughs> so, he's got this plan as Charles. He's going to marry one of his kids off to the King of England. But which kid? Well, that was the issue. Because Richard, King Richard II of England, he was 27. And Charles's oldest daughter, Isabella, was only five years old. So it's a little bit of a wrinkle in the plan. So a girl who's five years old is about to marry a guy that's 23. 27. He's 27, darling. Oh, my. And you're right, because despite what is a massive age gap of 22 years, marriage negotiations were started in 1396. The fact that she was still a child was naturally discussed as part of those negotiations. But Richard said he didn't mind that much because every day she'd be getting a little bit older, so eventually it wouldn't be a problem. Mm. He added that he actually considered it to be positive, as he would then be able to teach her to be the kind of wife that he wanted. Ah, that's nice. Is it nice or is it grooming? It's grooming and nice. Oh dear, we need to to have some conversations about this. Oh no, we don't. He basically was like, I know I'm marrying a child, but I'll wait until she's an adult and then she'll she'll be a proper wife to me, even though there'll still be that 22-year age gap. Okay. Mm. So by the time she's, what, 18? He'll be 40. He'll probably die first. There's a good chance. Not that anyone was ever going to ask Isabella's opinion about this anyway, but apparently she was happy when she was told that she was going to be Queen of England, uh, as she'd been told that this would make her a very important person. And as a five-year-old, I don't think you're really considering the the long-term implications of that. I mean, if I'd have told five-year-old you that you're going to become Queen, I don't think you'd have thought about it too much, would you? You said, do I get extra sweets? And if I said yes, you'd be be happy with that. Yeah. Mm. With an agreement in place... Richard saw little point in waiting, and he went to collect his new wife in October of 1396. They travelled together from Paris to Calais, where they got married in the Church of St Nicholas. The Church of Father Christmas. They got married in the Church of Father Christmas. What the? Mm. That is just so unnatural. Well, you knew he was a saint, and saints will have their chapels and their churches and their religious places. Nicholas Church. Yeah. That's just... It feels wrong, Okay, yes, it feels wrong, and to me, it's a bit unholy, so kind of ruins the saint bit. Sorry. Okay. The marriage took place five days before Isabella's seventh birthday, so she was six when she got married, six years old. She received a number of dolls as a joint wedding slash birthday gift. Which she probably enjoyed. So how many dolls did she get? I don't know. It said dolls plural, so it was at least two. And they would have been the finest dolls that you could get at the time. But it still seems a bit weird that you're buying your wife a toy as a wedding present. 
That yeah. seems like it, it shouldn't be happening. Yeah. I think the dolls actually look like... What, like the, her? Yeah, and the and her husband. And her husband, 28-year-old King Richard. <laughs> Why is this so weird? What she would have enjoyed less, though, was having to immediately get on a boat and leave her family in order to sail for England. Because let's not forget, she's a little French girl, but now she's going to be heading across to England to live the rest of her life in England. So she's got to say goodbye to her family forever. She said goodbye to her mother. She said goodbye to her sisters. She would have said goodbye to her dad, but he was having a, one of his dues. And he what didn't was know he doing was. this time? I don't know. Let's just say he was up a tower waving his bottom in the air <laughs> like he just didn't care. While his long-suffering staff was trying to get him down with limited success. Okay, okay, it's stopped now. Does that help, that mental image? Yeah, okay. Now, it had been arranged that Isabella wouldn't actually live with her new husband until she was a proper grown-up. So they said, you can get married, that's all fine, but you're not going to live together until she's a grown-up, because otherwise it'd be creepy. So she's got married, but she's not allowed to technically live with her husband no, that until would be she's a grown-up. Yes. And at the time, being a grown-up, you were considered a grown-up when you were 12. 12. 12 years old. 12. So she's not going to be allowed to live with Richard until she's the ripe old age of 12 years old. Yes, I mean six more years until she can live with Richard. Half her life again, yes. She's got to double her age before she's allowed to live with the man that she married. In the meantime, she moved into Windsor Castle with her own servants and ladies-in-waiting, who, amongst other things, continued her education because, again, she was a literal child, so she needed to finish her schooling before she could be a queen. (laughs) Well, she's technically... She is technically a queen. So she's... She's a queen who's still in school. So she's... A queen who's doing school at her own palace. Yes. Like I said. So weird. This is what the high this is what yeah. the, the upper classes were like weird. back in the day. Yeah. Although they didn't live together, the king would visit Isabella often. Hmm. Always bringing gifts, toys. And entertaining her with stories of all the kingy stuff that he was busy doing. Kingy stuff. Kingy stuff. Like, you know, signing trade deals and sorting out disagreements and... Battling. Mainly raising taxes, if you're talking about Richard. He liked to raise taxes. Kingy things. Kingy things. Okay, now you can move on. Right. Kingy things. It was reported that Isabella did look forward to these visits. But in the same way you might look forward to the visit of an uncle rather than your husband. Because, again, it was a weird relationship. Yeah. Yeah. This situation lasted for almost three years. But in 1399... Richard died. No. Isabel died. No. After Isabella had already patiently waited half the time until she could become fully-fledged queen, the situation suddenly and very dramatically changed. Dun, dun, dun! But it changed over on the continent in France because Isabella's father, 
during another bout of mental illness, was usurped by his brother, Isabella's uncle. Oh, no. Who happened to be slightly less bothered about having a good relationship with England. So much so that he supported Richard's cousin, the king's cousin, Henry Bolingbroke, to invade England in an attempt to replace Richard as king. So there's going to be an invasion. That's mysterious. You're going to have to think of a different word, because it's not mysterious so much as it's probably terrifying. Terrifyingly mysterious. (sighs) Henry was the son of our favourite historical person, John O'Gaunt. Are you serious? My favourite historical people, I have a girl and a boy, Catherine. Okay. The one that we talked about last, and Harold. No, you love John O'Gaunt. He was a really good person. No. We like John. We did an entire episode on John. Anyway, he was the son of John O'Gaunt and was annoyed when Richard had stopped him from inheriting all of John's lands when he had died earlier in the year. So Henry was due to get... You know how rich John O'Gaunt was and how much land he owned? Well, Henry was due to get all of that. But when it came time, when his dad died and he was going to inherit, the king went, do you know what? No, I'm going to keep all of that because I'm the king. Yoink! Okay, not mysterious. Uh, I don't know what to say. Is it? Well, how would you feel if you'd been promised that you were going to get a massive wedge of money, loads of land, and then, at the last minute, someone just went, no, I'm having that, and also you're exiled. Disappointed? Angry? Mad? Confused? Disappointed? Mad? Confused? Well, Disappointed? however he felt, he quickly made the decision he was going to go and get it back with interest, because he was going to replace Richard as king. Okay. This all happened while Richard himself was away in Ireland fighting a little war. So Isabella was left pretty much defenceless at Windsor Castle. What if someone killed her? Well, she was definitely captured by the rebels pretty quickly. And she was moved from castle to castle. Probably terrified that at any moment her head could be chopped off to prove a point. It wasn't a good year for Isabella. Richard returned to England. But he wasn't going back to, to fight. He was going back over there to surrender because... At the core, he was a bit of a coward. And he also wanted Isabel back. Oh, he didn't ask anything about his wife. He His only stipulation was, I will surrender unconditionally so long as you don't kill me. If you spare my life, I'm happy to allow this to happen without a fight. I will let you be king. What? Yeah. But what about Isabel? Isabella's just... She's still just being held by the rebels. We'll find out what happens to her, don't worry. Okay. Henry agreed to not kill Richard. Instead, he imprisoned him in Pontefract Castle. Unfortunately, though, much like the goldfish of certain absent-minded children, the guards at Pontefract Castle forgot to feed Richard, and he eventually died of starvation on February the 14th, 1400. So, like, this is... I think this is what happened to Isabel. So when she found out about this... She's heartbroken because that's her. She really liked that person. She's nine at this point. And she real and she enjoyed having him have going to visits. And now he's dead. Mm. So she's now heartbroken. And if and if I was Isabel, 
Um, I would kind of want to attack that person that forgot to feed Richard. Well, you know how it happens. You've got your list of chores for the day. You're going to muck out the latrines. You know, you're going to sweep the front step, feed the former king. And sometimes you just don't get round to it. And then you finally remember and you go in and he's already starting to smell. And you go, oh dear. And you he's don't dead. Re- you don't really want to admit it to anyone because you're embarrassed that he's you've dead. allowed him to die. It happens. Although, to be fair to Henry, he only promised that he wouldn't kill Richard. He never promised he'd keep him alive. So... You know, think he about the contracts he you sign. Kill Richard. He killed Richard. He didn't kill with him with starvation. He didn't kill him. He did. He did. He killed Richard of starvation. So he broke that promise, and now I really no, want to he was, murder him. He he put Richard into the hands of some trusted people, and then he had to go away and do kinging. It's not his fault if the people he left in charge so forgot. Who's Isabel's husband now? Well, she's now a widow. Widow? At the age of 11, she is a widow. The new king, Henry Bolingbroke, now Henry IV, wanted Isabella to marry his son, also called Henry, Henry Jr., who was nine at the time. So that's a bit better of an age gap. She's 11, he's nine. There's only two year. years in it. Two years in it. One year. Because nine, ten, eleven. Two. Two one. years. One. one. We're going to have to talk about your maths because, whoo, that's pretty poor. Okay, anyway, then, after this, we'll do maths. Fantastic. What an evening we've got history and maths. Yay. Yay. But Isabella, despite the fact that she had been captured by rebels, her husband had been left to starve to death, she decided that she was going to take a stand. She said, No. Do you know what? Bolingbroke, I'm not marrying little Henry. I want nothing to do with your family because you killed my husband. And and I really liked him. And she was like, and also, my father, the King of France, who's currently sane, he will get very, very annoyed if you kill me. So I think the best thing you can do, matey, is to let me go home and go back to France. I'd say this, excuse me, um, but you've killed my... You've... You've let my husband starve to death and I don't want to marry your little Henry. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't like him. I don't want to marry him. My fathers won't be happy when, if, or when you kill me. So, Sonny, so buckle up, Sonny Jim, because I'm leaving this place. Bon voyage. Oh, you got a little bit of French in. Well done. Because she's French. She is French. And she did indeed return to France. They decided it wasn't worth it to fight her on this. They were like, we, there's plenty of princesses in Europe. We don't need you. So she went home in 1401. Before finally marrying again in 1406. Richard! No, this was to the Duke of Orleans. Um, and this was when she was a much more sensible age of 16. No, no, no. She she finally found herself a good French nobleman to marry um, at the age of 16. And that that was it for the rest of her life. She she just lived the life of the wife of a French nobleman. So what was a French nobleman called? I don't know. He was the Duke of Orleans at the time. Oh. Um, but that meant her entire reign as Queen of England. Three years. She was Queen of England for three years. 
while she was a child and then she got to go home and just be um you know a french noblewoman so it would have been a bit like a weird dream she spent about the same amount of time as queen of england as you spent going to nursery to put it into perspective so imagine Rude. if all that time you've been going to nursery you were actually queen of england as well Rude. well what do you mean why is it rude that's the right about amount of time. You went to nursery for about three years before school, so Rude. you could have been Queen of England all that time. We just never told you. But it's over I now. I am depressed. Uh, you'll get over it. But if you think being Queen of England for only three years was a short reign, <laughs> you need to meet Isabella's little sister. Julia! Isabella's little sister wasn't even born until after her time as queen had ended. Catherine of Valois was born on October the 27th, 1401. Can we call her Julia, just not to get mixed up with the other Catherine? No, because that was Catherine of Braganza. This is Catherine of Valois. Nope, still get confused. You can refer to her as CV, if that helps. No, I'm calling her to Julia. No, because that's even more confusing, because the rest of the world will know her by her actual name. You can shorten it to Kathy V, if you want. Yeah, that's fine. Kathy V, does that work for you? Okay, we'll use Kathy V for the rest of it. When her father, King Charles, was in one of his more sane times, and control of France was his again, he thought it would be beneficial to be on good terms with the new English royal family under the Bolingbrooks. But as Isabella had already made it quite clear that she would not marry Henry's son, he had to look to his other daughter, Catherine. So although Isabella said she's not going to marry Henry Jr., he's got another daughter. He's got Cathy V. Yeah, da, 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 to be fair to Charles, he'd learnt his lesson and this time... He wanted to wait until his daughter was an actual adult. So Catherine was first sent to a convent for some non-administered education. Really? A nun? Because nothing is better for educating a young woman in how to be a princess than nuns. Because they know all about that kind of stuff, the nuns. Okay, got it. Then, when she was considered an adult, can you remember what age that was? No, no, not... Uh, Twelve! Twelve, yes. A very sensible age at which to consider someone to be an adult. Um, So, she would have had to wait one year? Well, when she was twelve, she was brought back to the palace for marriage negotiations to begin in earnest. With an age gap of only fifteen years this time, everything seemed perfect, and the negotiations were almost concluded when King Henry IV decided to die at an inconvenient moment. So he decided to die? Well, he didn't. He just dropped dead. And it wasn't the best time for him to drop dead because they'd almost finished this marriage contract. They'd almost decided who was going to get what. So he was, like, about to sign the contract and then yeah, drop dead. Close to, yeah. This left his son, now Henry V, with more pressing matters and the marriage negotiations were abandoned. So... Whenever a young, whenever a king dies unexpectedly, whoever his heir is, there's generally some people who will be challenging his authority to, to become the king. So he had to go back and sort of worry about plots against him and potential rebellions. So he's like, 
I'm going to have to put this marriage thing on hold. I've got to make sure to secure my kingdom. We'll, we'll circle back round to this marriage idea if I'm still king in a few years. If I've managed to shore up my position, then we'll come back to it. Okay, Cathy V? We will. Okay. The pressing matters included being at war with Catherine's father, which is odd, and included a rather famous victory for Henry at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415, which seemed to suggest that any future marriage proposals would be very unlikely. You know, once you've started fighting your fiancé's father in open war, it's a bit difficult, a bit awkward. Could you imagine if, for example, I'd fought a war against Pooh Bear and then we had to sit down and have Christmas dinner? How awkward that would be. That would be so awkward Mm. because you two would have been fighting... Mm. With swords, I imagine. But also bleep out his name. His name's not actually Pooh Bear. You are aware of that? Yeah. Okay, then why would I need to bleep it? Just bleep it, okay? I'm not going to bleep Pooh Bear. It's a cute nickname for your, for your granddad. Okay. You, mm. Okay. But when Henry and Catherine met again during peace negotiations in 1420, they looked at each other across the room. <gasps> oh, who's that? Oh no, who's that? And it was apparently love at first sight. Their eyes locked and it was boom. Little explosion went off. Love. Yes, love with a capital L. Love. The negotiations concluded with the Treaty of Troyes, which agreed that Henry would inherit the throne of France when Charles died. So it suddenly made perfect sense for Henry and Catherine to get hitched. Because if Henry's going to become King of France after Charles dies anyway, he may as well marry Cathy V. Because he's, he's going to be a member of the French royal family anyway. Yeah. It all fits together and they yeah. love each other. Yeah! They got married less than a month later and Catherine returned to England with the king to be confirmed as queen in a ceremony in Westminster Abbey in February of 1421. We've been to Westminster Abbey. Have we? Yeah, when we were going to that place, Bounce Fest. I've not taken you to Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey's in London. It's in the centre of London. Um, We went to London. We've never taken you to London. Okay. You've never been to London. Get back to the story. Okay. Henry, he wasn't able to stay long, though. He had to return to France in the June to continue fighting wars. Because he was, he was interested in fighting wars. It's what he liked to do. Yeah. Catherine, though, she decided that she wasn't going to go with him, as she was already expecting a baby. A baby. A little baby. Stop saying it like that. Which is, you know, back in the day, it was the most important thing that a queen could do was to create a son and heir to take over the crown. Was it a girl? It was a boy. It was an important royal boy. Because women couldn't inherit the crown at this time. Girls weren't able to be part of the line of succession. Well, I'm sorry that's the way it was, but she'd done her duty well. She provided a beautiful bouncing baby boy. What's his name? We'll get to it. George? Henry. Another one. Another Henry. Henry Jr. Jr. we're on now. She gave birth to Henry Jr. Jr. on December the 6th, 1421, 
at the same castle in Windsor where her older sister had lived when she was Queen of England. For three years. For three years. For three years. When this Henry became a man, he was destined to be king of both England and France, hopefully bringing an end to the Hundred Years' War that was still raging. It was all perfect. Their love was going to end the war between England and France by producing this tiny Henry who was heir to both the French and the English throne. So they just need to yell, Hey, we've had a baby. They, we, It's French and English. Stop the war, dudes. Well, as soon as he becomes king of both, which of course definitely happened because we, you know, share our royal family with the French now, don't we? No, we don't. No, the plan didn't really work. Because just at this point when everything seemed perfect, that's when it all went wrong. Henry dropped dead. Well, he definitely never saw his son, as he contracted dysentery while laying siege to a castle at Mo in June 1422. So dysentery, it's like a really bad tummy bug, and you get the diarrheas. Diarrhea is bad. Yeah, he got pooping disease. He was unable to recover, and he eventually died near Paris in the September. So he never saw his son, which is sad. He he pooped too much and died. That doesn't make it any better. Well, it just goes to show back in the day, whether you were royalty or you were poor, these things like plague, dysentery, all of these, they could take you. It was a very harsh time to be alive, Evie. This death placed Catherine, as you can imagine, and her son, in an awkward position, as the nine-month-old Henry Jr. Jr. was now technically King of England. Two months later, when Catherine's father, Charles the Mad, also died after a 50-year reign, he was also technically King of France as well. So he would have been not quite a year old, but King of England and France. <laughs> Meanwhile, Catherine was no longer Queen of England because you can't be Queen without the King. She was now known as what's known as a Dowager Queen, which means former Queen. Her reign had lasted 18 months from start to finish. She'd been Queen for 18 months at this point. Half the time that her older sister had managed. So between the two of them, two sisters... Mm-hmm both been Queen of England, but if you add up all the time that they were Queen of England, wasn't quite five years. From start to finish, the Valois girls had managed just under five years of being Queen of England. Hooray! Hooray! English nobles almost immediately became concerned that if Catherine married again, her new husband would likely have a significant influence over the new baby king, Henry VI and would be able to shape his um, ideas, you know, the way that he viewed the world as he grew towards being an adult. Because if you're the advising a young king, you can have a lot of influence over the decisions he makes. And all the nobles were really worried that if Catherine married someone else, they'd have that opportunity. So nobody wanted her to get remarried, is what I'm saying. Okay. As a result... She was placed under surveillance to ensure that no nobleman was able to woo her. What does order. woo mean? To, to flirt with her. To what does flirt? Ask her, to ask her out on dates and buy her roses. 
and tell her that she's wearing a smashing blouse. So, like, attempting to marry? Yeah, essentially, attempting to marry her. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but they didn't want that happening, so they put her under surveillance. And any time a noble sort of got too close, they'd be like, you, back off. We don't want your sort here. Okay. This worked, insofar as she was not wooed by any of the nobles. She was, however, wooed by a simple Welsh knight called Owen Tudor. Owen Tudor. Tudor. And that's a name you've heard, the Tudors. I've heard the Tudors and a boy called Owen. Okay. Well, Owen Tudor, who was naturally considered to be, because he was Welsh, no threat at all. They were like, well, Welsh people don't count because they're not actually allowed to inherit property at this point. That's actually kind of cool. What, that Welsh people were treated as second-class citizens was cool, was it? Yeah. Are you racist against the Welsh, Evie? Because that's a revelation. What do you mean? What, what I'm telling you is that Owen Tudor was not considered a threat because as he was from Wales... He was treated less well than British nobles, and he wasn't considered to be as important. So they went, well, who really cares if she's spending time with Owen? He's not important. He's no threat to us. He's only Welsh. Oh. Well, not threatening him is kind of cool. Not threatening him's cool, yes. Just not saying he's important isn't cool. Within a few months, Owen and Catherine announced that they were going to have a baby together. The couple got married, and it was confirmed that Owen would be given the rights of an Englishman, which would allow their children to inherit lands and titles. They ended up having at least six children, and eventually one of their descendants, Henry VII, would go on to become King of England after defeating Edward III at the Battle of Bosworth Field, bringing the War of the Roses to a close and ushering in the Tudor dynasty who ruled England for around 120 years. Okay, that's... that's... Pretty important as far as history goes. I don't know what to say. Mm. Well, you're going to do, at some point during your primary school history lessons, you're going to cover the Tudors. Oh. They're very important. Oh, Dad. And we talked about one of his... um, We talked about one of the Tudors, didn't we? We talked about Henry VIII. Yeah. What, Dad? Mm? In history, we have already learnt this timeline that you are going over. Really? Yeah. Starting from, from John O'Gaunt? No, running through not his son, starting Henry from John O'Gaunt, going way, way, way back when, William the Conqueror. Right. Then going all the way down to where we are today. Okay. So it's like you're going down memory lane. Well, that's what history is. If you want to really simplify it, it's going for a walk down memory lane. Oh, okay, got it, got it. Like I say, they ended up having at least six children. And although Catherine didn't live to see the War of the Roses, Owen Tudor did. So once Catherine died, they threw Owen in prison at first. And they didn't allow him to have any of the money or titles because, again, he was a Welshman. And it was only after a bit of time that, you know, his sons, who were half-brothers of the king, because they shared the same mum, they convinced the king to to allow Owen out of prison. 
Aww. and to restore him a pension. So he's paid a pension by the king, which was not very nice. Yeah, really nice. Owen was released and eventually he fought alongside his sons in the War of the Roses at the Battle of Mortimer's Cross on February 2nd, 1461. Um, oh, now I know how he saw that. Now I know how he saw the War of the Roses. He saw it firsthand. He fought in it. He was in it. That's how he saw it. That's mm. what I'm trying to say. He didn't see all of it, though, because at the Battle of Mortimer's Cross, he was captured and sentenced to be executed. More execution? Mm. Moments before his execution, when he realised that he was definitely about to die, he reportedly said, That head shall lie on the stock that was wont to lie on Queen Catherine's lap. Meaning that he was thinking about his wife, Catherine, even at the moment of his own death, which is nice. His last thoughts were of his, his true lady love, Catherine, and that he would soon be reunited with her. So that's a very nice way to end your days, I think. He was in his 60s as well, so he probably shouldn't have been fighting in a war, to be fair to Owen Tudor. I'm sure his back was giving him jip, and that he couldn't swing a sword as well as he had been able to in his youth. But if you're a knight, like Owen was, and there's a war on, You've got to fight in it, no matter how old you've got to. That's the deal. Not like knights today. Anyone can be a sir. And could you imagine Elton John swinging a sword in anger? He's a sir. Elton John? I remember when I was young. Till Tandon. The guy who plays piano with the big glasses. He's a knight of the realm. Could you imagine him swinging a sword? Yeah, <laughs> looking like he's about to murder someone. That would be quite a picture, actually, an image of Elton John <laughs> swinging a sword at somebody. I can actually make you one because I made you one of Titus Oates. If, if you want to draw Elton John as a knight, I, I think that could be fantastic. Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> that is the story of how two sisters, who were queens of England for a combined total of less than five years, arguably had more of an impact on the history of the country than many others who ruled significantly longer. Because without Isabella saying no to Henry Jr., saying, you just get out of here, you. And without her sister uh, saying yes to Henry. Owen. Well, no, that's the thing. <coughs> if Isabella had married Henry, she probably wouldn't have then married Owen. So we wouldn't have got the Tudor dynasty at all. Oh. Things had to happen the way they did with those two sisters for us to end up with the Tudors and with Henry VIII, and with Elizabeth, and, you know, all the things that came after. And then the Stuarts, it's all put in, put in place and put in motion because of these two very, very short-lived queens of England. Wow. Yeah. But mainly it's because of John of Gaunt. Okay. Who's the most significant what? person in what? British history by far, John. No, John he's Gaunt. not. For strength, for unity. Bland. He's not bland. Bland. He, his machinations were amazing. Machinations. Evil schemes, deep plots, dark thoughts. The man was playing 5D chess. He was a strategic mastermind. He was the person in the know. He was the person in my... Dead in my mind. He, he was, was the spider the at the centre of the web. He had his finger in all of the pies. He had his 
head executed in he my mind. Ex- he did not get executed. He was far too canny to allow himself to be in my implicated mind, he in any plot out. or scheme. He I... was the quintessential politique. He was everything that you needed. In my mind, he was rubbed out with a, with a pink and blue eraser. That's sinister that you've picked <laughs> colours for it, and I don't know why. So, how do you feel about those two princesses? I feel, Slash queens. I feel, um, don't know what to say. Hmm? Don't know what Did you to like say. them? Yeah. Okay. Were they were they faring against Catherine of Braganza? Are they above or are they below? They're equal. They're equal. You can't do that. We're having a tier list. Where have they where have they slotted in? Have they slotted in just above or just below? One percent below. One percent below. So I've still not found. Okay, I see where we are. That's fine. There's a tiny weeny bit above. I'll get it sorted. I'm, I'm going to keep looking intermittently for princesses that you like and we'll put them on a princess tier list. A Queen of England tier list is what we'll have. Okay. So at the moment we've got Catherine here and we've got the Valois sisters just below. No, like Catherine here and the Valois yeah, sisters there. Below. No. They're like, below her. Like, <laughs> only a little bit above. Like, Catherine, like, it's kind of on Catherine. They're kind of on Catherine. Catherine's tail. Yes, but that's still below. Yes, Just, not like... No, there's... Like, you never know. You might slot people in between. They might build up a gap between the two over time. We'll have to see. Okay. Anyway, have you got a message for the potty peeps? Stop calling them that. For our lovely, lovely peepees. <laughs> Is there a message? Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. Um, We sent that video and I'm sorry. And I'm really sorry that... We're pop that we are going to get this out into the world on Friday, on um, Sunday. I'm hoping Saturday, Evie. Okay, Saturday, or probably Saturday or Sunday evening. Oh, did you, are you doubting my skills to edit? <laughs> I like this. No. Probably <laughs> Monday. He's an idiot, so he might get round to it at some point next week. Wednesday at the latest. No. Just either, I think, I'm hoping Saturday, so I'm really sorry I was representing my school at an athletics competition that I actually won and I have to do it again next week. I am so sorry. I was just totally knackered after that, so I had to say no to podcasting. Mm. I'm really sorry. Like I say, this is why sport is problematic. It's not problematic. I was just a bit tired. (laughs) No worries. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.